Father, we just thank you for this morning and we just lift it up to you. I would just pray that uh, as we read your scripture and we look at it and what you would have it to, to tell us. And God, that uh, not that we just learn from it, but that we put it into practice. That you would have us to go out and share with others. Lord, we just pray for the four men that's uh, on their way to Cambodia. We just pray for safe journeys. But we know, God, that uh, they're going there to do your work. And we would just pray you work through them, keep them safe, keep them healthy. And those that will hear, will hear. And we would just pray, make a decision to love your son, Jesus Christ, as their Lord and Savior. So we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So I'm going to read through the chapter first so we can kind of take a look at it and see what's all there. And then we'll go back and walk through it. And that's kind of what we do on Monday nights. We read through the whole chapter. We take turns reading. And then we just go back and walk through it and talk about it and see what God has for us. So Matthew 16, the Pharisees and the Sadducees came to Jesus and tested him by asking him to show them a sign from heaven. He replied, when evening comes, you say, it'll be fair weather for the sky is red and and in the morning today it will be stormy for the sky is red and overcast. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation looks for a miraculous sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. Jesus then left them and went away. When they went across the lake, the disciples forgot to take bread. Be careful, Jesus said to them. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They discussed this among themselves and said, It is because we didn't bring any bread. Aware of the discussion, Jesus asked, You of little faith, why are you talking among yourselves about having no bread? Do you still not understand? Don't you remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered? How is it you don't understand that I was not talking to you about bread? But be on your guard again. But be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Then they understood that he was not telling them to guard against the yeast using bread, but against the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do the people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests and teachers of the law. And that he must be killed on the third day to be raised to life. 
Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. And you do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. And then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels. And then he will reward each person according to what he has done. I tell you the truth. Some of you are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. So let's go back and look verses 1 through 4. The Pharisees and the Sadducees came to Jesus and tested him by asking him to show them a sign from heaven. He replied, when evening comes, you say, it'll be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning today, it will be stormy for the sky is red and overcast. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation looks for miraculous sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. And Jesus left them and went away. Now, the Pharisees and the Sadducees were basically the religious order. They were, they were the scribes. They were the, high, the priests, the high priest. Pharisees were normally conservative. They were fundamentalists. They believed in the resurrection and those things. But the Sadducees, they were liberal. They were materialistic. They did not believe in angels or the resurrection. And that's why they were sad, you see. I was wondering if I was... <laughs> But if you think about it today, if you don't believe in the resurrection, it really causes concern because that's what we have hope in for the future. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we know just as um, Mark just read about Lazarus and that, you know, they believed in the resurrection, that that's what we can really put our hope in is the resurrection. So friend of mine in Atlanta told me that joke a long time ago and thought, you know, someday I'll get to use that. So, <laughs> But the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they were spiritually blind. They couldn't see what was right in front of them. They basically just flat out refused to see the Messiah. They really had not seen the true light. In John 1, 9, it tells us the true light that gives light to men. Every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him, and he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. The religious leaders of the day, the ones that should have known who Jesus were, just did not see him. 1 Corinthians 2.14, The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are are spiritually discerned. And we see that today. I mean, news stories, you see things that go on, people that, you know, you talk to. If they don't know Christ, Scripture is kind of confusing to them. Or some of the things that happen where you can explain, you can truly see God's been in that. But they're just spiritually blind. They don't want to see it. Uh, I've got some quotes later on that really um, 
to me is just it's it's sad in the direction that our country is going in the direction that the world is going and they just flat out refuse to see it and that's where the pharisees and the sadducees were they just flat out refused to see it as well as they were versed in scripture they just did not see it psalm 82 5 they know nothing they understand nothing and they walk about in darkness all the foundations of the earth are shaken and this one I like in Matthew fifteen fourteen, And I'm sure you've heard the, the little cliche, leave them. They are blind guides. If a blind, blind man leads a blind man, both will fall into the pit. And I'm sure you've heard it, you know, the blind leaving, leading the blind. Um, so here they are. They're basically living in pitch black. They just won't see it. But if you think about it, you know, there's no windows in here. If we, well, there is one. But if we turned off all the lights, blocked out all the light, and you lit one little match, how much glow would that show? I mean, really, it would almost light up the room. And But they didn't even have that. And that's what the Spirit would have brought to them had they just opened their minds and hearts to Jesus Christ. They just wouldn't let the light in. They were spiritually blind. And today, you know, we, we see it, but... You know, they were just fabulous on the outside. They had nice clothes. I'm sure that, you know, they just, they studied scripture. They were so spiritually, spiritually, or not spiritually strong, but scripturally strong. They understood the Old Testament, but they just didn't glean the light from it. And everything they did was, look at me, look at me. You know, it's like I pray, you know, I fast, and, you know, all these things that they do. But it was all looking on the outside. You know, they did not have a clean heart. I had someone once tell me, I think some of you have met my son. Um, he used to have dreadlocks. He had a pierced nose, had pierced ears. He's got tattoos. And I had someone tell me one time that it looked like we had a rebellious son. They were looking on the outside. They weren't looking on the inside. If you got to know my son, he really is a nice guy. I mean, he just, he loves the Lord. Um, he's a very accomplished musician and um, probably spends more time in prayer and scripture than I do. I mean, he just really, um, he just loves the Lord. But just because of his outer appearance, people were making a judgment. And that's the way this was, is Pharisees wanted that outer appearance and the Sadducees wanted that outer appearance, but it was the inside that needed to be cleaned and they wouldn't let it happen. Let's go back to verses 2 through 4. It says religious leaders are asking for a sign. And Jesus replied in verses 2 through 4, When evening comes, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red and in the morning. Today it will be stormy, for the sky is red and overcast. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous nation looks for a miraculous sign, but none will be given except the sign of Jonah. Jesus then left them and went away. Now, I was going through this. I found an old mariner's ditty. I don't know. Is Buzz in here? I thought he might have heard this before. So it says, red sky at night, sailor's delight, red sky in the morning, sailor's warning. 
And I couldn't find out who to attribute it to. It kind of ties it back to scripture that maybe this, but it pretty much holds true from what I understand. But I would need someone that was a sailor or a mariner or Buzz who likes to go scuba diving and on his boat uh, maybe can confirm that. Um, But we see this also in Luke 12. He said to the crowd, when you see a cloud rising in the west, immediately you say it's going to rain. And it does. And when the south wind blows, you say it's going to be hot. And it is. Hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of the, sky, of the earth and the sky. How is it that you don't know and how to interpret the present time? So basically he's telling them, you, you see all of this that God has made. You can interpret the weather through things that are going on. But here you've been studying scripture most of your life and you can't tell who's standing right in front of you. You know, you can't interpret scripture to understand who's standing right in front of you. But they didn't see the Messiah. They were scriptural giants, but they were not spiritual giants. They knew they knew the, they knew their Bible or their Old Testament. They knew the law. But they didn't know who Jesus was. Do you know individuals like that? Maybe it's been raised in the church. We have friends in Alabama. They do public high school assemblies and and try to reach kids on drugs and alcohol and suicide and and stuff like that. And they they spend all week in in a town and will do high school assemblies. And then on Friday, they have church businesses and or Christian businesses and churches will sponsor like a pizza blast on Friday. And there they can do their humor and music and really share who Jesus Christ is. And Rick even said, because he was kind of rebellious as a teenager, he says, you know, growing up I had churchianity. He said, I didn't have Christianity. And I always thought that was a great term. Um, because you have churchianity, but you refuse to see the Savior. You know, they heard the stories of the child. In fact, Rick and Mick's dad was a pastor of a pretty large church in, in Birmingham. And, you know, he says, years growing up, he said, I had churchianity, and I did not have Christianity. And he says, you know, I heard the stories from childhood, you know, I maybe even read my Bible from time to time because my dad said I should, but I just never saw. And basically that's kind of what the Pharisees and the Sadducees were. They just, they wouldn't let, they wouldn't let the world in. They refused to see, again, what was right in front of them. And Jesus told him, you know, he says, I've already given you signs. He says, but you tell me that it was from the devil, from Matthew 12, 24. But here's what they've seen just in a short period of time. In John 2, they saw water turned into wine. Matthew 4, they saw healings. Matthew 8, they saw demon possession and healings that demons were called out. Matthew 9, they saw more healings. In Matthew 8, they saw him calm the storm. So they saw the signs, but they wanted something more. They wanted something more. And I think we hear today, we hear people or we see people in a share that my wife and I always go down to Earth Day at Balboa Park. And you want to talk about seeing culture in action. That is a great place to go. But I think every possible cult and religion that you can think of also has a booth at Earth Day. And it is an amazing cross-culture of what's going on in the world today. 
And I would really encourage you to be praying about that as, as we move forward. So they saw the signs, but they refused to recognize them. They attributed them to the devil. They studied scripture. But what the Pharisees and Sadducees were looking for was a conquering savior that would come and take, basically take over the Roman Empire and set up an earthly kingdom. And when this happened, they thought, you know, since we're such, you know, giants that we learn our scripture and we know all this stuff that surely God will have us you know, part of his, you know, part of his kingdom here on earth that will be the big shots right up there, you know, with God. And it was all about, look at me. So again, they were scriptural giants, but they just failed to see. And we need, and we ourselves, when we study scripture, we need to put into practice what we learn. And that that's for myself too. Sometimes when I study in that, it's like, you know, I just don't feel like it today. But we really need that when we learn and we study scripture and we see what it has to tell us, that not only do we learn it, but we do it. Scripture should motivate us to do what to do what we read. You know, when it says love one another, this came up yesterday in Bible study, uh, love one another. You know, and it... Uh, it's tough sometimes. It really is tough sometimes that you run across some folks and it's like, wow, Lord, <laughs> please, you know, help me. Um, because it's tough. Um, sometimes I drive over 400 miles a week. And I'll tell you, you know, when you get cut off and you get stuck in traffic and, you know, you have a semi that's been jackknifed and the freeway is shut down and it's really hard. You know, and you just feel it right in the tip of your tongue and it's coming. You know, it's like, got to stop. God, I I need help right now. You know, because it just, it's really tough. So scripture should motivate us. It really should motivate us. That when we read and study scripture, there's a lot in there that, you know, we need to be doing. And, um... Like I said, we could be here for four hours and talk about some of this, you know, and really just reach out to those around us. So in verse four, Jesus throws it back at them because they're looking for a sign. He says, a wicked and adulterous generation looks for a miraculous sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. Jesus then left them and went away. And we saw this again because he had already been through this with them in Matthew 12. In Matthew 12, in verses, starting in verse 3, Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of law said to him, Teacher, we want to see a miraculous sign from you. And we kind of see that in society today. You watch some of the news programs and stuff, you know. It's, you know, if God is so mighty, why don't, why don't we see him? Why don't we see him? And I think... Somebody can correct me, but it was Ann Graham Lott that somebody's, you know, with the school shootings. And they said, you know, where was God? And they said, well, you kicked God out of the schools. I think it was Ann Graham Lott. If not, you can correct me afterwards, but look it up. Um, So they're always looking for a sign. And I think people are looking for a sign today. Prove that God's here. But, you know, when you look around you and you see the splendor... um, 
I was up in Portland and Seattle recently, and we were taken off from the airport. Uh, it was kind of kind of overcast, but as we got up above the storm, actually I looked out the window, and I could see the snow-capped mountain. It was level with the jet, and I thought, wow. I mean, that has got to be God-made. I mean, I wish I'd been on the left side of the plane. I'd have taken a picture. It's just so hard to describe the power at that point where the clouds are covering everything but the peak of the mountain. It's snow-covered, and here we are level with that mountain. And it's like, if that's not a sign, I'm not sure they'll never see it. So he answered, in a wicked and an adulterous generation asked for a miraculous sign. This is still in Matthew 12, where he was talking to them before. They've been through this. But none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now one greater than Jonah is here. He was there. He was right there in front of them, and they failed to see it. They were spiritually blind. And then this one, verse 4, the very end, he left. It says, the end of verse 4, Jesus then left and went away. Now, somehow I think that maybe kind of had to irritate them. I don't know about you, but have you ever been in the middle of a sentence and someone just turned to walk away from you? <laughs> kind of takes your Christianity away from you sometimes, doesn't it? <laughs> I mean, it's like, what did I do? But they just turn and walk away. So can you imagine the reaction to hear Jesus just call them a wicked and adulterous generation or people and he turns and walks away. And from this time on, he basically focuses mostly on the disciples. So Jesus did leave to focus on the disciples. And we see in Matthew 16, 5 through 7, when they went across the lake, the disciples forgot to take bread. And be careful, Jesus said. Jesus said to them, be on your guard against the yeast. And sometimes it's uh, translated leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. They discussed this among themselves and said, it is because we didn't bring any bread. Now be honest, who's thinking about the coffee and donuts right now? Or maybe going to lunch, where am I going to go? Okay. Um, But at this point, they had rowed across the lake uh, probably had some physical needs thinking of food and here, you know, Jesus is talking about, you know, be on your guard against, you know, the yeast of the Pharisees and they're thinking, oh gosh, we forgot the bread. And so verse seven, they discussed this among themselves and said, is it because we didn't bring any bread? And these are people that lived for the last two and a half years. They've been walking and talking and listening to him teach. And I always like I like this. We've seen it a few times in, in the New Testament. Verse 8, aware of their discussion, Jesus asked, You of little faith, why are you talking among yourselves about having no bread? Do you still not understand? Don't you remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered? How is it that you don't understand that I was not talking to you about bread? So here they had just seen all of these people fed with just a few loaves and a few fish. 
knowing that if they needed it, Jesus could produce the food that they needed. But here they were worried about the food. So it's kind of like they were coming back to their carnal self again. That here after two and a half years of him teaching and, and healing people and doing those things, you know, they're thinking about food. And again, so they're thinking about their physical needs rather than their spiritual needs. But Jesus was patient. Uh, he was very patient. Have you ever tried to teach someone something and have to go over and over and over? I know if you're an employer, you probably have. Or if you've ever managed people, you probably have. I know I have. And you have to be very patient sometimes. You know, or even your kids. You know, it's, you want to give them that latitude to learn, you know, but it's, you're just sitting there and you just want to, you know, you just, you just want to get right in the middle of it. But you know, if you do, you just get, you're going to, you're going to squash their, their excitement and stuff and give them an opportunity to learn. Um, me, I was, uh, we were just talking about this yesterday. My oldest sister's out here from, from Florida, um, her granddaughter graduated from high school and we were laughing and talking about my mom. I never had to do chores because I can never do it good enough to suit my mom. And she says, I might as well do it from the beginning because I'm going to have to do it over anyway. So it's like, okay, my dad's a different story. I did have to cut the grass. So, but that's it. He, you know, you've got to let people learn and so he taught them and he taught them and he repeated things and he taught them um about what they needed to know so here jesus has showed them many signs and they still failed to see i mean you know he produced all of the loaves and the fishes that they needed to feed the people and still the disciples kind of were not quite sure what was going on so in verses 11 through 12, how is it that you don't understand that I was not talking to you about bread? But be on your guard against the yeast or the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood that he was not telling them to guard against the yeast but used in bread, but against the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. So some of you that bake, what does yeast do to bread? Or the dough? Makes it rise. I mean, and it doesn't take much. And how many of you are familiar with Amish bread? You know, you got to have the starter. And, you know, you pass it from on, you know, from on to on and on. And my wife she does this, what's that called? Kombucha. It does something very similar. You have to have a starter and it just grows and it just overtakes everything. Um, and that's kind of this idea is that, you know, um, he was saying, you know, the yeast used in the bread, but against the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees, what he's talking about is the teaching that they were doing would infect them and basically pollute them as to what they should know. And that's what we have to be careful of. That's what we have to be careful of in, a, in our society, in our culture, that when we allow culture into the church that, and you hear it, and I'm going to touch on it in just a moment, but how if we let people will say, well, you know, God just needs to change. Or, you know, the Bible just needs to be rewritten. And we know that that's not going to happen. Not for people who really trust and know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And that, you know, the Bible that we've been given, that it's true. And it will not change. 
So beware of false teachers. Now, cults are easy to identify. They're very easy to identify. We talk about going to Earth Day. Uh, they're very easy to identify and what's going on, and you've got to work your way somewhere. Uh, there's always something that you have to do. Uh, but I found an article I'm going to read real quick uh, by Colin Smith. It's called The Seven Traits of a False Teacher. And he pulls this from Second Peter. He says in Second Peter 1, we read about genuine believers, and in Second Peter 2, we read about counterfeit believers. And if you put these chapters side by side, you'll see the difference between authentic and counterfeit believers. A different source. You always want to question, where does their message come from? Peter says, we did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says, false teachers exploit you with stories they've made up. A different message. What's the substance of the message? For the true teacher, Jesus Christ is central. We have everything we need for life and godliness in him. False teachers, Jesus is at the margins. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who who bought them. Different position. In what position will the message leave you? True Christian escapes the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. Listen to how Peter describes the counterfeit Christian. They promise freedom while they themselves are slaves of depravity. For a man is a slave to whatever has mastered him. And the true believer is escaping corruption while the counterfeit believer is mastered by it. Different character. What kind of people does the message produce? The true believer pursues goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brother kindness, brotherly kindness and love. The counterfeit Christian is marked by arrogance and slander. They are experts in greed and their eyes are full of adultery. Not all, but most TV preachers or the prosperity gospel preachers that you see on some of the cable channels. What is it? Send me a thousand dollars and you'll be healed. Or send me a thousand dollars and God will just bless you with the greatest riches in the world. Just be careful. Be careful who you use. Different appeal. Why should you listen to the message? The true teacher appeals to scripture. Everything goes back to scripture. And I know you've heard Pastor Bill say this. If you hear something that you think's not quite right, come up and talk to him. But you better have scripture to back up what you have to say. We have the word of prophets made more certain and you will do well to pay attention to it. God has spoken and the true teacher appeals to his word. The false teacher makes up a rather different appeal by appealing to the lustful desires and sinful human nature. They entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. Different fruit. What result does the message have in people's lives? The true believer is effective and productive in his or her knowledge of Jesus Christ. The counterfeit is like a spring without water. This is an extraordinary picture. They promise much but produce little. And a different end. What does the message ultimate, where does the message ultimately lead you? Here we find the most disturbing contrast of all. The true believer will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. This false believer will experience swift destruction. And, um, 
That's from Colin Smith, just those seven traits. Yes, Colin Smith, seven traits of a false teacher. So here we find them. um, And I would always caution you to be careful who you listen to and who you teach. And you know, the wealth of the Internet is great. So you can research these people and find out what they really believe. You know, they may say some things that sound really good and they make you feel good, but it may not be based in Scripture. Um, I know probably one of the largest mega churches today you'll see would be Joel Olstein. And a friend of ours was spending, Rick and Mick, Rick spent the, the night at our house and uh, had gone up the next morning. I think my wife and, and Rick were watching Good Morning America or something, and Joel Olstein was on there. And they asked him, you know, isn't there more, one, more than one way to heaven? And Joel Olstein's basic answer was yes. And, I mean, my wife says you almost had to tie Rick down. He was screaming at the TV and jumping up and down, you know. And it's like, and this is someone who has an influence over thousands of people over thousands of people. So I would just encourage you that you be very careful about the teachers and the people that you listen to. Uh, And if you're not sure, go to the Internet and look them up. That's what I do. But the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they were phony, they were external, they were legalistic, they they were formal, ritualistic tradition. We have to be very careful when our traditions overtake Scripture. Uh, when we supplant scripture with our traditions, that's something terribly wrong. We must, you know, there's nothing wrong with tradition. But when it replaces scripture, there is something wrong with it. Uh, just, there's a mega church back east. Uh, read his, read the pastor's book and he said, you know what? You can't be baptized in my church unless we videotape you and of your testimony and put it on the internet. That doesn't sound right to me. Church can't start till we light the candles. And this one I like. Um, I was speaking one time and I got done speaking and this little old lady came up and talked to me and it's just as dear as could be, sweet, lover to death. But she counseled me on speaking in blue jeans. And so I asked her, I said, what are you going to do when you get to heaven and Jesus is wearing blue jeans? She says, well, I'll just tell him to go change. <laughs> so we just need to be careful. You know, there's nothing wrong with wearing a suit to church or wearing blue jeans to church. It's all about what's inside. God can see inside and he knows if we're clean or not. Uh, this one I like. This was a quote from... Uh, politician running for president laws have to be backed up with resources and political will and deep-seated cultural codes religious beliefs and structural biases have to be changed do your religious beliefs have to be changed i don't think mine do God doesn't change and his word does not change. In James 1.17, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. So again in verse 12, he says, Then they stood that 
Then they understood that he was not telling them to guard against the yeast and used in bread, but against the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. So beware of false teachers. Beware of false teachers. Know scripture and know how to identify false teachers. Colossians 2.8, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and basic principles of this world rather than Christ. Calvary Chapel teaches verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book to help us understand scripture, to know what God's word says. And they don't cherry pick what they want to teach the congregation. They teach the good stuff and they teach the hard stuff and what God wants us to know. Verses 13 through 14, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the that the son of man is they replied some say john the baptist others say elijah still others jeremiah or one of the other prophets son of man and i'm sure you've seen this and i'm sure pastor bill covered it in the book of daniel when you're studying on thursday nights Um, but it's a it's a term used by jesus of himself several times some said that he's john the baptist that you know maybe he'll come back miraculously because he had had his head chopped off uh, Elijah, Malachi 4, 5. See, I will send you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. So they were looking for the coming Messiah. They were seeing Jesus right now as a precursor rather than as the Savior. And then as I was studying and looking through this, I found this. Um, it says, Jews at Passover celebrations put an empty chair and it's reserved at the table for Elijah in the hope of his one day coming to announce the Messiah's arrival. Jeremiah, some Jews believe that before the Messiah returns to establish his kingdom, Jeremiah will return to earth and restore the ark and the altar to the place of the temple. And then it also says one of the other prophets. He could just be one of the other prophets. So who do, who do people say Jesus is today? Um, Napoleon, he was no mere man, but he never acknowledged Christ. Strauss was a German naturalist. He's the highest model of religion. Mikhail Gorbachev, Jesus was the first socialist. Here's one some of you may know, not all of you, John Lennon. Everybody know who John Lennon is? We, the Beatles, are more popular than Jesus. Oprah, does God care about your heart or does he, does he care if you call his son Jesus? There's got to be more than one way. Rob Bell, who used to be pastor of a mega church out of Michigan, um, basically has a show on Oprah's um, channel. Um, He stepped down as pastor, but this is what he recently said. How can you rely on 2,000-year-old letters to dead people? And that's when I really like Lisa, Liza. This is on a blog. I think Jesus might have been a good person in his time, and today he's the monument to the stupidity of Christianity, just like Allah is and the rest of these so-called gods. And I got a couple more here, but... We're running out of time. Unless you want to be here a couple of hours, I could go on. So, Matthew 6, 15, 16, 15. This is the best part. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? 
who do you say I am? Talking to his disciples. And Peter, Peter being quick, right? I mean, we, as we go through scripture, he's always quick, but this is great. He's right on Matthew 16, 16. Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And here Christ is a Greek equivalent of the Hebrew Messiah. Peter declared him to be the Messiah. The multitudes thought he was the precursor, but Peter declared he was Christ. The son of the living God. And so in 1617, Jesus responds, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but my Father in heaven. And that's what happens to us. When we come to know Jesus Christ, that has been revealed to us. God's been pursuing you, and it just clicks. It just clicks. His eyes were opened by God to who Jesus was. And God promises when we profess Jesus Christ that we will live forever. In 1 John 4, we, and we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and he in God. And I know all of you know John 3.16. He was recited with me, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. But what about the verses after that? For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God God's one and only son. So they condemn themselves when they do not profess Christ, the son of the living God. I'm going to stop here. Well, let me go on just a little bit more. I have a few more minutes. Matthew 18:20, And I tell you that Peter, and on this rock... I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. Now, uh, Peter, the Greek word used there, Petros, means a small stone. And then when he says on this rock... He's basically, this is Petra. Everybody familiar with the band Petra? Um, it's meaning a foundation stone or a cornerstone. And I know if you've ever studied building or, you know, I had to look this up because I'm not exactly into construction. But you know that the cornerstone or the foundation stone, that it has to be, you know, level, it has to be perfect. Basically, that's where the rest of the walls come from. And for the building to, to be built properly, it has to be right. And that's what Jesus Christ is, is that, you know, he's, he's the cornerstone. Um, you know, it, it, you've heard it many times that the Catholic Church looks at, you know, Peter's the first pope because of this verse. Um, but in 1 Corinthians 3, it says, For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. And 1 Peter 2, 6, For in Scripture it says, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. And so that's what 
basically, that is not talking about the Pope. What that's talking about is Jesus, I will build my church. Jesus says, I will build my church. Now, Peter and the apostles were very instrumental in that because God used them just like he uses us today. In um, you know, things don't happen by coincidence. And I've, excuse me, I found this out this week. I booked a flight because I was traveling and I went from Portland to San Diego, but I had to stop in Oakland. And I usually don't like to stop, but I didn't have to get off the plane, so it was no big deal. And so once everybody got off in Oakland, I was able to move up and I was like second row from the front and people are boarding and there's still plenty of seats behind me. And this young lady (coughs) comes in and sits down um, in the middle seat. She should have, she could have gone back, got a window seat or an aisle seat, but she sat. And we didn't talk for a while, uh, cause I was studying. I, you know, had my stuff out and I was studying cause I've been traveling and wanted to, you know, get as much studying in as possible. And actually did too much cause I probably have a whole other sermon here. So, <laughs> um, but she sat down next to me and so about, 20 or so minutes before we landed i put everything away and we just kind of chit chat for a while and talked and you know one of the things she asked me she says are you a pastor and i said well no i said i do teach bible studies i you know i study my bible and you know um she goes oh okay you know so we just talk and then plane lands and she looks over at me and she says can i talk to you when we get off the plane i said sure so we get off the plane and we found a quiet area in the airport um, and we started talking and she says, does God really forgive you of your sins? I said, yes. I said, I, I truly believe that. I said, I think there's only one sin that God will not forgive you of and that's rejection of his son, Jesus Christ. But no matter what's gone on in your life, God will forgive you. I said, so, you know, what, what do you, she shared with me that she had just come from Oakland from having, a, <coughs> having an abortion. So we talked, we, I shared with her from God's word, how much he loved her. We've been texting since Friday, giving her scriptures. Uh, I asked Bill for good church up in North County, so referred. So I asked permission. Can I just text you periodically to make sure that you know you stay strong? Um, her husband didn't know. She's she's married, but you know, in talking with her, I looked at that and I said, "There is no, there was no way that that was not God intervening in what was going on." And if I had just, that day, usually put my headsets on and just kind of shut out the world, but that day I didn't. And she even asked me, she, or she even told me, she says, I was supposed to sit next to you to the plane. And you know, I truly believe, and that's what I told her, that God truly, if you confess to him what you've done, that you really will change that he'll forgive you and you are forgiven and God loves you and you just need to 
ask him to come into your heart and know him as your Lord and Savior. So I'm going to stay in touch with her. And I came home right away and told my wife because I didn't want her to think I was texting some strange lady out there. (laughs) But, you know, I do have one verse I'm going to leave with you. And it's actually the verse I have on my Facebook page. Colossians 4, 2 through 6. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. And that's my prayer, is that we always know how to answer everyone with love. And that you can, then when Jesus, if Jesus asks you, who do you say that I am? That you can say you're Christ, the son of the living God. And you can share that with those around you and they can see the hope in you. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this morning and we just... uh, Thank you for your message. God, help us to learn what you would teach us. God, help us to practice and go out and share with others the good news. God, thank you for the young lady that sat next to me on the plane and that was able to talk with her and just talk about how you're such a loving and great and forgiving God. God, I want to continue to pray for her and lift her up, that she will stay strong and that she will get into good, strong church to help her grow in her faith and that she can continue to mend with her husband and not being a believer that through the example that she shows that he too will come to know your son Jesus Christ. God again we pray for the men going to Cambodia and just keep them safe and we thank you and praise you in Jesus name. Amen.